All right, Justin, sing me a song about getting your shit blown up in a landmine in Vietnam. Uh, I actually have a song um, in mind. That's what's going to kill you. I don't know. Boom. Here comes the boom. Ready or not. Boom. Here comes the boom. Ready or not. Now, there you go. That's Who the fuck sings that song? I don't remember. I don't really care. But if you actually knew, that would have been good. Nope. I actually had one song particularly in mind. And it's going to sound like a stretch, but if you really think about it, it works. And I won't put you through torture today, Heather. So you're in the clear today. But I was looking for Edwin Starr's War. Mm. I did think of that one. See? I was going to go with Bruno Mars, though. But yeah. Oh, see, actually, Mm. Bruno Mars would have worked. It would have just because that would have been a sneaky callback to the movie we're going to talk about. And I would have had to give you a W for that. But I didn't sing it. So. No, but I'll give it to you, though, because that that's actually sneaky, sneaky good. I really like that. I really I like that I think this is one. my first legit win, then. Because <laughs> I wasn't thinking of it, and it would it would have really, really would have worked. So I, I'll, I'll give you credit on that one. Awesome. Justin sang some song by some random 2000s band that nobody remembers, so he, he didn't get anything. Oh. I don't know why you get so disappointed at this point, Justin. This should just be such a normal part of your weekly life that you should just be okay with it. Well, it's tarnishing my winning record, so I don't like that. Justin, I don't think you understand what a winning record is. <laughs> like, if you think your rec- like record is a winning record, it really makes sense why you're a fucking Cowboys fan. Oh. Nailed it. I'm Yikes. just saying. And that's not even the first time I've made that joke to you, Justin. I don't even know why that affects you. I literally made Man. that same joke like four episodes ago, and I equated your winning record to that of the Quincy Carter Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we got five rings, though. Yeah, everybody's like, all the other teams are passing you. <laughs> I mean, Pittsburgh's been sitting at six longer than you guys that, like, they've been to the Super Bowl more recently and sitting at six long. Like, I mean, they were in the Super Bowl, like, last before you guys. And then the Patriots, geez. I mean, I, I understand that they blow everyone out of the water. But, like, since you guys have been to the Super Bowl, they've, like, done lapcha and, like, surpassed you and everything. <laughs> well, I think this year is going to be our year, man. Once everybody uh, heals from COVID. I was about to um, say, that's, that's assuming that your fucking team gets to play. They might be passing around the plague nonstop all year. They can't feel the fucking team. I'm I'm hoping that this becomes just something that bonds them. And once they recover, oh, man, look out. How would you feel if one of the weeks, like, how bad would you feel if because if so many people from the Cowboys tested positive for COVID, that they would have to actually forfeit a game because they couldn't field enough players to play? Like, how would that make you feel? Oh, my gosh. I'm already really sad, dude. When that report came out about all those players, I was like, oh, man. And, of course, everybody's going to say, and now, of course, all these people are going to see, Dak Prescott shouldn't have had that party. And I'm like, oh, man, I knew that's what they were going to well, say. Well, see, it, that's dumb, though, because that was, like, way yeah. longer than two weeks ago. Like, yeah, that was Zeke's a long infection has time nothing ago. to do with that. Zeke's infection yeah. has everything to do with the fact that uh, the state of Texas stopped giving a fuck about the disease a long time ago and just... Let everybody get it. Oh, don't get me started on that, man. There's plenty of memes going around about Governor Abbott and they opened everything up. And then we now we have this covid spike. And then he is. And I know that he like famously said that uh, that he was saying it's it's a lot of it is young people 
that are just not taking this oh, seriously. He's, gone, he's gone even further than that, Justin. He blamed protesters. <laughs> oh, he has. Oh, he okay. blamed Black Lives Matter protesters for it. Wow. Yes. Which is okay. funny because a lot of the protesters I've seen are all wearing masks. Yeah. Most people that you see, there were people, the protests that I've been to, there were people passing out masks. You know, they wouldn't they there was people out there that wouldn't let that if you didn't have a mask, they were they were suggesting that you wear one, you know. But uh, of course, just of course, anything to somehow put that in a negative light. But that's neither here or there. But yeah, I know he's been saying that, though, that the big number spike, according to him, the last conference I saw was like between the eight people between the ages of 20 to 30, something like that. So he just was like, you know, you're not taking this seriously. And I'm like, dude, you opened every damn thing up. And didn't require masks. Yeah. And didn't require a mask, you know? That's why we're coasting kind of okay in Illinois. We actually, we recently had another spike. I mean, everywhere is seeing spikes, but hey, Hold your head yeah. up high, Texas. At least you're not Florida. Oh, God. It's just, yeah. It's terrible over there. Yeah. Florida's a free-for-all. Florida's always a free-for-all. Let's be real. Florida is always a free-for-all. That's why the Florida Man game is a thing. Which, have you ever played the Florida Man game? The uh All right. When we do our Q&A episode, which is our next episode, w- during the episode, I'm going to have you guys do this. You go, You type in Florida Man. And then your birthday, just to see what article pops up that says Florida man, blah, 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 whatever the I headline have done was for that, that before. I wish I remember what mine was, but I have done that before. Yes, that is the Florida man game. And the fact that that's a thing kind of just proves my point. <laughs> man. Yeah, it's uh, it's rough over there. And not to get off the subject of Florida, but on the subject of COVID in America, I saw a stat kind of going around and I don't know how true this is, but you know, we have, but it was, but somebody posted that we, America has 4% of the world's population, but has one third of the world's COVID cases. And it says, draw your own conclusion. And I was like, damn, that's kind of a scary stat. But I mean, I imagine we are doing more testing while I say that. But who knows? Relatively speaking, compared to a lot of countries, factually speaking, we were behind on testing. And that's huh. one of the reasons okay. with it is a lot of other countries, when the outbreak started in China, started producing tests. We didn't. We were just like, nah, no big deal. We don't need yeah, that shit. Ignored it. Because I want to say that was around, wasn't it around like the first kind of uh, rumblings we got was around November, December, right? And we ignored that. That That's the story I've heard. Or it was very early 2020. The very, the very first known case of COVID-19, which is named after the year. The 19 is the year 2019. Um, okay. Was October 2019 in China. Okay. It okay. was officially One like an outbreak off. there, I think, at the end of November. Uh, okay. And okay. I mean, it's crazy, dude. Uh, there's actually a thing that came out rec- this last week in uh, Chicago. Chicago has one, one of the strains of COVID-19 in Chicago is one of the more closely related strains to the original outbreak in China. So that hmm. shows that somebody from the original outbreak in China essentially flew to Chicago. 
Yeah, essentially and, came over here. Yeah, came directly, like, was in Chicago and infected people. Because there's, like, minute mutations. The one good thing is, is COVID hasn't had any serious mutations, but it's had minute ones, you know. And just one of the strains in Chicago is one of the original strains. It more closely resembles that than the other strains. And it's just like, damn. Like, that's how long apparently it's been going on here without us knowing. Yeah. So, yeah, enough COVID talk. I think everyone's tired of that at this, what, month three of this pandemic. So let's start this episode. Hey, Cine fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I am Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And today we will be talking about the Netflix Spike Lee joint, The Five Bloods. We will, we will be talking about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with that movie. So, as we've been doing lately, we will start non-spoilers, give our recommendations and scores, then we will go into full spoilers. So, let's start it off spoiler-free. Um, Justin. What are your thoughts about the five bloods? <clears throat> All right. Well, um, well, well, this was definitely um, an interesting movie because it's a war movie that, uh, that, that, that where you don't of like the black perspective, like it's like a black perspective, war movie, Vietnam war movie. And that's just not something that you get a lot of. So I do appreciate uh, seeing a war film from, these optics. So that was interesting. I think that this movie really has a lot going on and that is both good and bad, you know, and I'll probably get into some more specific like negatives and whatnot, but, but I definitely thought that this was uh, more good and bad, more good than bad. I enjoyed this film overall, uh, man. I mean, there are just so many revelations that Spike Lee makes in this movie. Um, like when you compare it to something like Black Klansman, I thought I think that Black Klansman is a little bit sharper. It's a little bit more focused. It, it I feel like that flowed just a little bit better than this one. This one kind of go it shifts tones, it shifts genres. There's a lot going on with this movie and then there's like and then it's trying to give you kind of this dichotomous situation of a black soldier fighting for America but then you gotta but then there's also the fact that you're dealing with certain racial things and things like that in America of kind of being a second class citizen so I love the back and forth of that and the characters I think were all pretty cool because they're all kind of that they all kind of have demons from being in the war and things like that and the film gets to touch on each of those and uh, some more than others but overall you you kind of feel like every character's arc kind of happens the the way that it needs to and the last thing i'll say about it is that man uh delroy lindo my goodness, man, I don't think I've seen him act in a better movie. Like, I, I just, I didn't know that 
he had this kind of performance in him. You know, I've always uh, respected him, always thought that he was a respectable actor, but man, he really rises to the occasion in this movie. And this character, this Paul character, with dealing with all the guilt and the regret and the trauma and everything going on with that character. He's a Trump supporter, but at the same time, he's got the this sort of uh, love-hate relationship relationship with his son like there's just a lot going on with that character but Delroy Lindo really uh really nails it and I think uh, you know brings some warmth to that character some sincerity to that character but then you're but also some anger some vitro like like it's all there within this character so I just really enjoyed his performance as a, a standout performance so yeah and so that that's probably the as much uh as non-spoilery as I want to get but yeah overall solid performances in this movie some great political as well as social messages and uh, uh overall a solid effort from Spike Lee Heather what about you it's definitely an interesting concept for a movie. Um, and yeah, just kind of like you, you don't really see more movies that are, are done like this and the perspective that he takes with it. So that was really cool. Um, it was, yeah, definitely very different. I do think the performances were really, uh, they were really solid for the most part. Uh, there's a couple of people that I'm a little bit iffy on, but for the, the main part, you know, if we're talking about the main cast and especially Delroy Lindo, like you were saying, Justin, he's great. He's by far the most dynamic and interesting character of the movie. And um, yeah, like it's, it's, I feel like a lot of it really becomes sort of his, his journey more than the others um mm. but yeah it's it's definitely a very interesting take and it does have a lot of different things going on in it for me i don't really care for how it was paced um i think it was a little bit longer than it needed to be and i just think that it was a little bit i i don't want to say hard to follow but it just like it did a lot of like, it, I feel like a lot of the transitions didn't really work well, or it, it just it didn't flow as well as other movies of his, I don't think. Um, and maybe that's why it, it sort of felt long. Like, it, it just kind of felt like it was jumping around a little bit for me. But the story in general is, yeah, it's, it's interesting and it's compelling. And it makes me, you know, it made me want to keep watching it and just be like, okay, what's going to happen here? And um, I, I do love the little... Um, the the political aspects that he puts in the film and I, I love the historical points of it too like at the very beginning of it like the very beginning captivated me right away and the ending just a lot of different things where he he brings up um just historical figures and historical things that happened and uh just kind of drives home a point of what he was making in this film so um, I do I do like when he does that and he does do that well. So that was a high point of the film um, for me. It was it was OK. It was an OK film. Um, probably not my favorite of Spike Lee's. Um, not my favorite war movie by any means, really. It was fine, though. It was it was an interesting watch and it was an interesting story. So I agree a lot with uh, both of you um, when it came to this movie. Uh, Delroy uh, Lindo. I mean, he really, 
really knocked it out of the park. And so much so that it just made me reminisce about his days in the movie Congo. And I had to go watch that again. Because to me, he steals that scene when he's in it. And I feel like he in this movie, he is very much a scene stealer in this movie. He he steals almost everything he does in this movie steals from somebody else. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's just he is so powerful in this movie and I love it. But then I do agree with with Heather. Uh, I do think the pacing was a little bit wonky, a little bit uneven Um, in a non spoilery way. There's a scene where people get their hands tied. And then the very next scene, you see them walking without their hands tied. And to me, that adds a little bit of of just unevenness in the movie, because there's a lot of scenes like that where there's obviously connecting scenes or something that are missing in some of those. And not to not to harp on 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 Spike too much on this either, but those special effects with that helicopter very early on in the movie, that's pretty bad. That very much reminded me of fucking like PS3 video game graphics. With just how that the helicopter <laughs> looked compared to the landscape and everything else around it. That was not good. Uh, one thing I did love, though, is I absolutely loved when they would do the flashback scenes that they kept the original actors. And they didn't de-age them. Yeah. They just kept yeah. the original actors and, and, you know, just put them like they were the ones in it. And I thought that that added a really nice context to what was going on. Because sometimes if they go back... In t- like when some movies where they do flashbacks and they'll do like, I don't know, like the Irishman and they'll just de-age everybody and it makes everything look like shit and it's incredibly distracting and I don't give a fuck. Or they'll just go to a bunch of different actors and sometimes that can lose people because then you're really strictly having to remember names and all these other things very quickly in a movie. And sometimes that's a little hard to do depending on how many characters there are and stuff like that. So to me, it was a very stylistic way of just simplifying that, like everything with it. Just do a flashback and keep the same actors looking the exact same. Just wearing actually like actual combat fatigues and stuff like that. So I I honestly really enjoyed that and thought it was a very smart way of doing something with that. Um, I thought some of the motivations of the characters, they seemed a little weird to me because they seemed a little inconsistent because it really depended on what time in the movie were what their motivations were and it wasn't like things happened and it changed their motivations because it would just seem like everybody went kind of back and forth with some of the things and i'll go more into it more specifically because there's some stuff in that have to do with that that i didn't know was a part of that going into this movie so i kind of want to keep that out of this section but yeah to me overall it ended up being probably a solid 20 minutes longer than it needed to be but like those scenes that hit though, those were just like classic Spike Lee scenes. I mean, that that tracking shot that he always does where, you know, where the camera and the actors are on a track and they move one direction and it's just focused on them while they do it, but they don't move. And he's very much started he stopped doing those in the middle of movies now. He solely saves those for the end of movies now. Cause he did the same thing in Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that scene at he didn't do that shot. The Spike Lee shot. I mean, that's what it is. That's the Spike Lee shot. And he stopped doing it during movies. Like, he just does it, like, in the end now. I mean, and it's fine. It's just, I really love that shot. I just want to see more of it. And I think there were some good moments in this movie that they could have done it with. But, I mean, I got a double dose of some wire in here. I mean, 
I got it. Once again, Spike Lee delivers with another Isaiah Whitlock Jr. and his classic she from the wire. Yep. yep. Did it in Black Klansman, did it in this. I will never complain about Isaiah Whitlock Jr. doing that ever in my life. Especially in something <laughs> like, you know, in Black Klansman where it's a very small role and that's really all he does. And it's just great. So kudos to Isaiah Whitlock Jr. once again for delivering for me. Because I'm not going to lie. When I see him in things and he doesn't do that, I feel a little weird. I feel a little incomplete. I feel like something missing is missing in my life. And I feel bad for him with that too. Because that means he's very much typecast into that. But to be fair with that, he also sells bobbleheads that say that. So he kind of leans oh, really? into it a little bit. Yes. So he understands. He gets it. He was a part of the wire. So he, he, he understands. Um, uh, I guess yeah, that's all I'm going to say during this section, too. I don't want to say anymore. So anybody else have any non-spoilery thoughts? No. Nope. Um, nope. All right, re- recommendations and scores. Heather, go. Um, yeah, I, I recommend it. I think it is a unique story. I think it's um, it's important. And I think just, you know, Spike Lee is just so good at making films. And you're right that the shot that he always is so famous for doing, it's so really, it's really cool when he does it. And he picks really good moments to do them. And it's just a really, like, even the cinematography of this, you know, when there's like a lot of flashback scenes and things like that, I really like how it, it all was put together. Um, yeah, like I was saying, longer than I would like, a little bit more um, scattered seeming than I would have liked. But overall, it was decent. So I'll give it um, 70 Chadwick Bozeman coming out of nowhere to play, you know, their, uh, their leader back in the day out of a hundred. Justin, what about you? Uh, yeah. Um, I also recommend this. I think that, um, uh, not only is it, um, a a solid war movie, which I just haven't seen, you you know, we haven't gotten one quite like this. And plus it's this long, this, a war epic. We, We haven't had one quite like this in a while so i think that people that are into that or people that like war movies and stuff like that i i think you should try this one and then it's got a lot of important messages that are relevant to what's going on right now and if you're somebody I think especially I'll give a special recommendation if you're somebody who is kind of kind of gotten on this uh, Black Lives Matter train, if you will, and you're somebody that's trying to increase your knowledge of what they go through or things like that, or you're trying to watch movies that give more information and things like that, you know, it, because I know that that's kind of something that is happening. People are reading more books, uh, certain movies are trending and things things like that. Well, this is one of those movies that you could watch because the black vet 
perspective isn't often one that you get a lot of. So I think that that's very pertinent right now. And Spike Lee just has a way of educating people about black history. And that's kind of what I love about him. You know, when he does black history, he'll he'll use this archival footage and go back in time and then tell you something about someone so that you understand how that's relevant to this character or how that's relevant to this situation. And he loves to do that bounce back and forth with archival footage. And you always feel like you learn something. You know, I even learned something in this film about Crispus Atticus that I didn't know. So that was actually quite cool. Like, and that's what I appreciate about him the most. And that's why I think people do need to see his films. And that's why I would recommend that you watch this one. Um, as far as a score, uh, I do agree with y'all. I do think it was a little bit long and it does have pacing issues. So it's not my favorite Spike Lee. I think he does definitely have better movies, but it is good. It is solid. It And it is important as Heather said. So for that, I'm going to go a little bit higher than you did. I'll, I'll go, I'll go 85, um, 85 gold bars and everybody talking about their share because they deserve it from the Viet Cong to the lamb group to our five bloods out of 100. I don't know what the deal has been lately, but so much lately. I've kind of been just in the middle of you two and, and I find myself there again. I'm a little bit more on Heather's side than Justin's, but not much. I mean, it's a very small amount with this movie. It's not, it's not Spike Lee's best in any way, shape or form, but it still feels so Spike Lee. There have been other movies he's done that you, they don't feel like Spike Lee when they happen. What was that one he did for like world war two? Like, the Santa Ana miracle or something like that or whatever. Yeah. The miracle of Santa Ana or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That one was not a good one. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and I think what helped with this movie is he was able to do a Vietnam movie, but since he also tied it into modern times and straddled that line between the two, it worked a lot better with what Spike Lee does. And I was reading a lot of things because there's this something there's something I want to get into later when it comes to reviews for this movie. But there were some audience members and a few of them talked about how they hated his use of stock footage and stuff like that when talking about stuff. And it just made me think when I saw that, have you seen a Spike Lee movie? Like, that's what he does, because when he brings that stuff up, he, he does it in a way to show you what was real and what actually mm -hmm. happened. You know, yeah. and what's the best way to do that? Use actual footage of it, not a recreation, none of that shit. He's very big in doing that, especially when he's doing things about like the black historical experience in this country. That's just what he does. And it's it just blew my mind. Like when somebody said that, I was like, I mean, it, it's really like going Spike, really? You're doing the Spike Lee shot again. I was like, what the fuck else do you want in a Spike Lee movie? That's what you get. Like. I don't know. I was just, I was flabbergasted about it. You know, it's, uh, I, I just, I could not understand the thought process of somebody actually typing that out. I mean, all that being said, the ways like, you know, beyond the pacing issues and some of the inconsistencies and the crazy ass special effects in some cases at its heart though, 
about being these people and the conjoined experience of what they went through in Vietnam to the completely unique experiences and individual experiences they went through after Vietnam and the personal aspects of all that. I really feel like Spike Lee just nailed that. And with that, just made a more interesting movie than I think a lot of directors would have done with the same thing. I'm going to give this 75 motherfuckers getting blown up on landmines out of 100. So spoilers? Yes. Yeah. All right. Spoilers. Um, yeah, no, that was the, those scenes. Once they kidnapped those land people, there's a big chunk of scenes in there that just drove me nuts with those transitions. Like they literally had the scene of they're like, tie them up. And then literally the next scene is they're walking with not being tied. You, you know, it's, it's just so weird. Like that. It just, it's a very jarring visual thing that they go from tie them up to now they're not tied. And then whenever they tied up, uh, what's his name? Paul, the very next scene is him walking untied. It's just very jarring. Like it seems, it makes it seem like a, there's something missing or B what was the purpose of the tying up scene? Like, like the direct emphasis on it just to literally have the next scene, not have it. And speaking of Paul, those scenes when after he separates himself from the group and he's walking through the jungle, those would have been some of the perfect scenes to do that Spike Lee shot. Yeah. Of just a path down the jungle of him. Okay. Yeah. And just have the jungle trees and shit passing him by and him just kind of having that, that mental break stare he had at the camera during those scenes that would have been so amazing yeah like that's the one thing i was really thinking of when i'm watching that i was like oh they could have done the spike lee shot so hard here but i mean overall though with a lot of these scenes like that scene where the sun steps on the landmine and all this uh, i like i loved that whole the whole way that played out yeah that was tight especially with it coming right after that motherfucker got blown to shit you know and it kind of showed that mentality you have to have with these people having gone through war, you know, you just saw one of your best friends die, but then you literally have to just like separate yourself from that and do what you need to do to prevent somebody else from dying right away. And like, I just liked that it showed like those people that came, you know, from the war and all this other stuff, how they were able to just jump back into it like that. They were able to do that disconnect. Because they've had to do that so many times in their life when they were doing when they were in Vietnam. And like, I loved how I loved how they also showed something that's not talked about a lot in Vietnam, where the Viet Cong would do radios, radio programming. The North Korea or the North Vietnamese would do radio things just to try to get black soldiers to join them. That that was a real thing. And I don't know if it was as prevalent as what they showed in the movie. But I do know that I've, I've seen a few things and it's just very few that have talked about that, that they would do these like propaganda programs where, you know, they would use a uh, language that was, would be considered like black language in the seventies, you know, when they would say things like soul brother and stuff like that. And they would talk about how, you know, you're here fighting in the war when back home in America. And sometimes that would be how they found out news. I think in the, in this, they found out Martin Luther King died from the Viet Cong and not from their own military. Yeah. And I just know that that was something that like uh, uh, American, the American military was actively trying to stop from happening 
to where they would like, that's why they would like start banning radios and stuff like that because they didn't want black soldiers hearing those things because they were afraid that they would betray them. And when you really look at what the Viet Cong were doing in that stuff, it's not like they weren't saying facts. Like it's not like they weren't saying the truth, you know? And I think that that's what scared the military even more is that it was the truth. And it's not, it's not like these soldiers didn't know it. You know, the, the soldiers knew it, but they were still there. And I just loved, I loved that they showed Muhammad Ali at the beginning of this movie. The very first thing with this movie is that speech that Muhammad Ali gave on a, was a news program in Chicago about why he's not going to go to Vietnam. And I loved how you had that juxtaposition of him saying that and then them being there and fighting in it and knowing what he was saying was true. Yeah. And I loved that they taught that like, that was, that was a theme throughout the movie. It just, it really, and then also whenever they were, you know, nowadays and they were talking about a lot of that stuff. I mean, how many of those exact same sentiments line up with what, Black Lives Matter protesters are talking about now. And that was 50 years ago. Yeah. And those sentiments line up now. But then one of the things that I really liked is I loved the fact that Paul was a Trump supporter. Yeah. And without going political in any way, shape or form with it, I thought that that was a very authentic thing for like a lot of people in like Detroit and Michigan and places like that. Places that have voted Democrat a lot. And then when Trump was running for president, all of a sudden it became a red state. And a lot of it had to do with the fact, and Trump called out Democrats on it too. And it was, you guys have been voting Democrat your whole life. What has it really changed? Why not vote for me? And I thought his character with a lot of that kind of embodied that mentality in a very authentic way. Yeah. And I think that 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 was very well designed because his son uh, was a Morehouse graduate, uh, which is the college I also went to, which is um, a historically black college. And I know that Trump, you know, that's a story that Trump always tells about how when the historically black colleges and stuff like that came to him and they were needing their grants and money and stuff like that, he got them some big deal. He always, t- it's, it's like, it's kind of like part of his story that he gives about this is what I did for black people. And that is something that he has done. He gave a lot of money to or he made sure that uh the the money that that those HBCUs historically black college universities um he made sure that they got some of that money or that there was a long-term deal so that they wouldn't have to come back every year and request that money from the government and everything so i do kind of like And so that's kind of a narrative that Trump has. So I do kind of like how you have this father who was a Trump supporter and his son went to a historically black college. It almost seemed you could almost see something like that happening, you know? Yeah. And just with how he was talking about how he was so disenfranchised with everything that it, it, that decision would make sense in that scenario. And yeah. And also with that, I mean, I'm not trying to say you need to be disenfranchised to vote for Trump. I'm just saying that that was with a lot of 
like prominent black people that did vote for Trump and they have gone on to like do interviews and stuff like that. That was some of the stuff they brought up is the disenfranchisement with the Democratic Party, which yeah. has historically carried the black vote since civil rights. Yeah. And that was the shift. It's like, hey, what really has changed? And at that point, I mean, if you're a Democrat, what can you really say to somebody that says that? Yeah. Like it, it's a very real thing. And mm -hmm. I just loved how authentic it was with it. And which is really, it shows how much Spike Lee cared about telling this story he wanted to tell with that. Because Spike Lee is a very anti-Trump person. He is yeah. very anti-Trump. And I think, I think Paul's son, David, kind of falls in line with more how Spike Lee feels. Whenever he did that, whenever that was at the, the, the lamb people were asking him about, you know, their president and stuff like that. I mean, what he said was pretty much almost word for word shit I've heard Spike Lee say. But because Spike Lee cares so much about being real to what situations actually are, he gave a voice to a demographic of black people that isn't common in a lot of black things, you know? Yeah. I was totally going to, yeah, yeah. You said you took the words right out of my mouth with that. I was going to say, but yeah, now the black conservative is part of the black experience too. So yeah, to, if you're going to have the integrity of this story, you needed black people on different sides of the spectrum. You know, you had your black business owner, you had the, they were all vets, but they all kind of had these different characteristics about them. And they all kind of represented someone within the black community. You know, you had your more progressive educational young guy. And then, like you said, you had Lindo's character that was a Trump supporter and everything like that. But then, um, and then, but then the, the one that was a little more uh, level headed, his character, uh, Clark Peters, Otis, then you had somebody like that who was more about just the, the brotherhood and the unity and very like just pro black. And, and those are all parts. Well, and he was a doctor. What the? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he and was, Otis a doctor. was a doctor. Yes. Yeah. He was a doctor. Yeah. The met. Yeah. Yeah. So he had the. So, yeah. So then you had. So, yeah, all, you just had all these um, all these pieces to the black puzzle. And, and that was very well done by Spike Lee. And on top of that, Paul's character wasn't a joke. You know what I mean? I know they made fun of him in that scene when he came out as a Trump supporter to them. But that's but also then with the kind of banter they gave to like toward him with it is kind of akin to what you would see in a movie in a barbershop scene. You know, mm -hmm. it's they, yeah, they were making fun of him, but there was there was still a brotherliness behind it. And but I, I, I just liked that, even though maybe it's something I don't believe in and it's definitely something Spike Lee doesn't believe in. He gave an authentic and legitimate portrayal of that. And it yeah. wasn't real. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't it. It, it was a, an authentic part to that character. And I mean, say what you will. How many directors would do that? Because, I mean, Spike Lee is accused of doing the exact opposite of shit like that all the time. And then he goes and puts a character in it that's not a caricature. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah. real, completely fleshed out character, which we've all more or less said, stole the fucking movie. I mean, yeah. that character was the most like, I don't, I, 
was just like the most out. I, I don't even know how to word it. Like he was the character you were drawn to throughout the entire fucking movie. I mean, yeah. it was just, it was, it's, you know, and so like by doing that, I mean, like say what you will about Spike Lee and everything like that. It's just, that's just a more accurate portrayal of so many things than a lot of directors and writers are willing to do, let alone do it right. The fact that he was even just willing to do that shows how much he cares about the actual story that he's trying to tell, especially from being authentic to, like you said, Justin, the black experience. And it just makes me, it makes me love Spike Lee all over again. And it's not <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I have never once fallen out of love with Spike Lee. Even when he's done movies I don't like, even though he roots for the Knicks, I've never fallen out of love with Spike Lee. Ever since, essentially, ever since I saw Do the Right Thing, I've always been in love with Spike Lee. And because I had slightly irresponsible parents who did have HBO my entire life, I saw Jungle Fever at a vastly inappropriate age. I was way too young to see something like that, but I did. But, I mean, it just, I, I don't know how I still am, but there are times when I see a Spike Lee joint that I'm still in awe with what the fuck he does. And he's been doing this for so long, I shouldn't be in awe anymore. Like, we all love Martin Scorsese. We all love him. But when was the last time he made you awestruck with something he did? And he's an all-time great. He is an all-time great director. I mean, for how many people would he be on the Mount Rushmore of great directors? You know, mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese is a goat. And I still can't remember the last time I was in awe at one of his movies. But Spike Lee did it again in this one to me. Did it again in Black Klansman. So that's all I think I'm going to say about this movie. I think there's more I need to say. But I feel like I've talked for a while. I want one of you to talk. Um, I'm trying to remember the order in my head. And I don't remember. So I'm just going to say Heather's name. Heather. So what's some spoilery things for you in this one? Yeah, so... The first thing I was going to say is I totally agree about the um, there's a the scene with uh, the son who, you know, accidentally steps on the landmine. That was a super captivating scene. And I liked it just because of the intensity of it, but how it really did seem accurate to like, okay, we don't have time to freak out right now. We need to figure this out. And everybody just kind of came together and like put their brains together and figured it out. And it was it was a very intense scene, but it was really great. It was probably one of my favorite scenes of the movie just because, yeah, I mean, it was just so, um, yeah, it was just so captivating. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of scenes and a lot of qualities to the movie that I really like. And I also really like that they um, they put that Marvin Gaye song in there. <laughs> I thought that was a really nice touch um, and that it was kind of like just the acapella version of it, you know, with like that was Abby. awesome instruments i thought that was beautiful actually and i loved like the spots that they put it in it was perfect and i think that really added to the quality of the movie so i really liked that a lot um yeah i mean it's 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 just it's hard to say i mean the message of this movie completely does overpower really any issues you can have with it because he made some stylistic choices And even if you're like, I don't really quite get what he was doing, usually with him, you just feel like everything he's doing is with an exact purpose, you know? So for me, it's just kind of like, maybe I didn't necessarily like some of his choices, like 
how he kind of, it felt like it was a little bit jumbled and all over the place with, you know, what was going on in the different scenes that they were choosing to do at the moment and cutting to the different scenes. Um, You know, maybe for me, I didn't care for that, but I just feel like nothing that he did in the movie was like a mistake. I think it was something that maybe he had different, like a different reason for why he did it that way. Who knows? I don't know. But I just, something about it just makes me feel like he's too much of a pro for it to really have been just randomly not done as well as he normally does other movies. You know what I mean? And I'm not sure why that is, but, um, but yeah, it's just the, there's a lot of really powerful moments. And I do think that, um, Peter, is that the guy's name or is it, or is it Paul? Paul. Yeah. Paul, his character, he really, yeah. I mean, especially the scenes when either he's talking about how much, um, how much animosity that there is between him and his son, those scenes and the scene when he's just kind of in the jungle by himself were so powerful and really just, those are the things that made him such a complex character. And, you know, like you, you can really see on his face or just kind of in his reactions that he has the PTSD from what happened with their, their leader. And you can tell, at least I feel like I could tell that there was something deeper to that, which we find out is because he's actually the one that accidentally ended up killing him. And that was, I'm not surprised by that, but I do think that that is also like this interesting element because it's just this surmounting guilt that he keeps carrying with him throughout this movie. And I feel like that's sort of what is the breaking point for him. It's like he's angry about all of these other things, but he's really just mostly he's just angry at himself for what he let happen. And he's just sort of I feel like all the all the reactions he's having to everything else going on, it's stemming a little bit from that because he's getting these memories back from what happened, you know, because they're going back and they're trying to get on this mission to, you know, find his body and find this gold. And it's bringing up a lot of things for him. And it's just it's really well done how well he's doing the PTSD storyline in it. And yeah, it's just. I I really enjoyed that they made that where there's just layers to his character where it's not just the outwardly like, you know, I'm angry at how things are going and all these things. I'm he's like really just angry at himself. And I, I like that they put that element into his character. So that was really cool to me. And, um, you know, just the, they, they really do seem like a group of guys that have known each other for years you just you really do feel like it's a group of guys hanging out just like on a Saturday, just doing whatever they want. Like they did give that vibe of we've known each other for forever. And so the dynamics and the chemistry between the guys was really good. I do think some of the um, like side characters were not really my favorite when it came to their acting, <laughs> like the the French lady. I didn't really care for her. I didn't really think she was like, I I didn't care about her either way. I didn't really think that she was, you know, the greatest performance. And then Otis's um, girlfriend or, you know, partner, whatever she was, I didn't think that she was a great actress either. I just feel like some of them, you just feel like they're just, again, like we've talked about before, saying lines just to say them. And 
that's kind of how they felt. <laughs> but it was overshadowed by the fact that the the four main characters were so good and they were so good together that you know, it, it's not something that took away from the movie, but it was just kind of funny because it's almost like watching like, you know, SVU or Law and Order where it's just like all of the little side characters of the people they're going to talk to. And they're just all like really cheesy and bad acting, but the main people are really good. <laughs> That's kind of the vibe it gave me with this. But, um, but yeah, it's otherwise like I really, and then it was a really touching moment too. Like when they are, when they do find the gold and they find his body. And that was a really moving scene as well. Like I was kind of wondering how they were going to pull that off. Cause I was like, it's just going to be weird. Like they're just going to dig up a body or they're going to dig up some bones that like, what are they going to do with that? You know, but then they, they actually made it very touching. So um, it, it was just very well, I guess like the details are, are well thought out, but again, it's just, it's so long. Um, and it really, at points, it just loses me a little bit because it just does go on a little bit too long. Um, but you are also right, Sterling, with the, the concept of putting the guys as them in the flashbacks, like what they look like now. I loved that too. I thought that was a really cool element. And, and I, I, I don't know if it just kind of gives me this vibe of, you know, like it, it makes you feel like this is really them and this is really what they're everything that they went through in the past is what made them who they are. So that's why, you know, maybe that's why I liked that they stayed the people that they were like the age that they were and everything. I really, really liked that a lot. I just, I think that was a very cool and unique way to do it. And I honestly, yeah, I mean, and they were so good together. And even in those war scenes, too, like, I mean, you don't really think of these guys as like super action star type of guys, <laughs> but they really did those scenes well. You know, um, I do think it was a little bit like what was the guy's name? The one who got himself blown up on the on the landmine. I don't remember. Eddie, maybe or something. Anyways, he <laughs> that scene was a little bit um, jarring. and. Yeah, it, it really, it takes you by surprise, but also, like, I don't know, maybe, I feel like he probably would have immediately died. Like, he was just really still, he had no limbs, and he was, but he was just still really alive for a good, you know, couple of minutes after that. I just feel like he wouldn't have actually still been alive. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like that. I think maybe it felt longer to you than what it actually was then. Because he was actually only alive after that moment for maybe 30 seconds. Maybe it was. Yeah. But either way, I feel like, I guess I feel like any amount of time after that he was still alive seems like it would be off. Because I'm just like, even if he was alive, like, I feel like he would have been knocked out from the blast or something. You know, like, I just, I just would have been like, not thinking he would at all be alive <laughs> like I think I thought he would be just immediately gone but you know that's just me thinking you know I'd, I've never been in a war so I don't know but that would just kind of threw me I was like wait is that I didn't know if that felt realistic to me that he was still alive after that but you know it again it's just a small detail that doesn't make me be like this movie is stupid and dumb it's just an, an element of it that I was like hmm I don't know. I just feel like that wasn't as realistic as some of the other things that they did in the movie, if that makes sense. But um, otherwise, 
Yeah, I mean, it's, like I said before, it's a very powerful movie with very moving performances, especially from the lead characters. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's just something that you don't want to miss because, and it also does, and I like how you said it, Justin, where it's kind of giving a voice to these, this community and this, you know, section of the black community that like you don't hear a lot about. So I really appreciated that as well. And I think that the way you said it, you were dead on. So yeah, that's my thoughts. Um, just to comment real quick on some of the stuff you were talking about with it. Um, when it comes to like him surviving that long after taking something like that and not being unconscious or not immediately dead and, and things like that, that's actually kind of common. Um, and they were kind of showing some examples of that uh, at the end of the movie when, with the lamb stuff that they uh, like those kids and stuff like that, that were missing limbs and stuff like that from landmines. Uh, landmines just are all kinds of crazy. Um, some of it depends on how much dirt is on them or over them versus like, you know, all these different things. And just in general, like a lot of the stuff that the human body can take can be incredibly surprising because uh, a lot yeah. of our expectations of some of that stuff is honestly, it's it's from movies and TV shows that we think that. You know, how many movies have you seen where somebody's running away and they get shot and then they just kind of fall down? Yeah. Unless you're getting hit in the leg or the head, you'd actually probably still be able to be running for a little bit. Yeah, maybe. There's, you know, it's, it's little yeah. things like that. Because if you think about it, I mean, one gunshot wound, even if it's in your, like, uh, upper body, isn't necessarily a death sentence. I know it is a lot in movies and stuff like that, but it's not necessarily a death sentence. So something like that, you get hit in the back, say it goes through your shoulder, there's zero reason why you're just going to fall down. There's very little, unless it's like the bullet's stuck in you, there's all likelihood if it's a through and through, you're fine. You know, you'll probably live. There's no reason why you fell down in that instance. Um, but we, we just know that feeling or that that's what's supposed to happen because of movies and TV shows. I mean, I know this is a super weird example, but I mean, look at 50 Cent. I mean, how many times was he shot? Wasn't it like eight like or nine times eight, or something? Eight or like nine that? times, yeah. 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 All in his upper body, I think. And he was fine. I mean, not at the moment. Yes, it's not like it was just like, oh, no, nah. he just went to Walmart, got a band aid, and was okay. I don't mean it like that, but I'm just <laughs> saying, like, oddly enough, in the upper body, your body could, there's a lot of open space you can get hit in and you're fine, you know? And so, and that's, and that's what I mean just with that is I get what you're saying because that is your first thought. You just stepped on a landmine and your arms and legs are gone. How are you even alive for even that little bit of time he was? I totally get that. But it's just like, you know, how many things have we seen also like, or just uh, stuff from war movies and stuff like that, like that we've seen or just what we know from wars and stuff like that. There, there are a lot of people that lost both their legs or lost their arm. You know what I mean? That's a fairly common thing when it comes to landmines. And yeah. It's more like in his instance, when you lost all four in the middle of the jungle, yeah, you're just going to bleed out and it's going to be real quick because you got a lot of blood going out real fast, you know? But yeah, yeah I was, it was just funny because I, I literally read like an article about this like two weeks ago. And it was mainly talking about gunshots in movies, about somebody gets shot and they always fall right away, especially when they're running. When more than likely, you'd still probably go another 20 feet, especially in a high adrenaline situation, unless you're yeah. getting hit in the head or the leg. Like something like that would mechanically stop you from running or maybe the heart. 
you know, those type of things would mechanically stop you from running. But more often than not, you'd at least probably go another 20 feet before it even registered and stuff like that. And it was just funny because I was thinking about it. And then like every time I see it in a movie now, that's that article is just all I think of. And I'm like, damn it, yeah. article. I'm tired of fucking thinking about you. I wish I never read it, honestly, because that's a very distracting thing when you're watching a movie and you see it happen. And you're just like, oh, of course, I'm thinking of that element article again. of surprise. Well, it just it yeah. just takes it takes you out of the movie for a second because you're like that happened. You're like, oh, article. Damn it. No, just focus on the movie. It happened to me a little bit in the movie blind spotting because of the same thing. When that guy got shot by the cop in that movie did the same thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's just it. it and I think just with that, like I said, landmines are just fucking weird things. I mean, one, it's funny because with that, the other thing, too, with landmines, him stepping on that landmine, it would have gone off. The most of the time, that whole pressure plate thing isn't real, a real thing when it comes to landmines. But it's a very cinematic thing. Oh, it's cinematic as fuck. When you see that in a movie and you hear that click, that's another thing. They wouldn't have, they don't make that loud click because then it kind of gives away the element of surprise. Uh, the landmines that do shoot, uh, the, the landmines that do require you to step off are the ones that are the bouncing Bettys um, because they're the ones that want to launch up in the air to do more damage. Or I, uh, more often than not, most landmines, they just have a delay switch on them. So you're stepping on them. And it's like two or three seconds afterwards is when they actually explode. It's, it's, an intentional, it, it's an intentional aspect of the design. You know, somebody steps on it, they keep walking more than likely, especially if they were the first person in a group of soldiers. Now that landmine is already about to blow and more soldiers are over it now. And so then it explodes. I really hate reading articles. It ruins stuff. Anyway, Justin, your turn. Go. Uh, yeah, man, you guys uh, really unpacked uh, a lot of stuff and a lot of that stuff you said, I definitely um, agree with. Uh, I guess I'm going to jump on the train of using the same actors in the flashbacks or whenever we went back in time. Yeah, I, I appreciated that system. I appreciated that choice, too. And who knows if it was a choice he had to make, because financially, maybe he just didn't have the money to de-age or whatever the case may be. But I think it definitely works in the context of this story, because there's this reoccurring theme of you're always at war, that the war never really leaves you. You know, I want to say there was a line in there where a character goes, where we're always kind of at war and it doesn't matter whether it's mentally or physically, it just happens in varying degrees. It was something like that. There was a great line. It was the, it was the Vietnamese guy that was kind of their guide. Yes, that he said it, he said it. And so you know, when you see these scenes and they're going back in time and it's the same people in the scenes, it almost in a way is metaphorically saying they never left the war. They're still there, you know? So I, I like that because that definitely plays into the movie. You got these people going back to the place that really changed them, that really kind of broke them and they were never the same when they left. But then you couple that with what I think this question that Spike Lee is constantly proposing. And it's like, for how many years are black people kind of going to be thrown out there on the front lines, right? 
made to be the the sacrificial lambs and then come back to a place that doesn't appreciate them. And I think that that was kind of part of the message here. That, that, that was some of the political portion of it. Like that, that whole thing about Crispus Atticus, the first black person that died, um, uh, dur- during that during that war and then or during that revolution then you know you think about and I don't think he touched on the civil war but when I think about the civil war th- a lot of that was going on too you had blacks fighting on both the north and the south and that's what they were they were fighting for something that they for a freedom, for an ideal that they just weren't going to have, regardless of what side you put them on. They were fighting for something that conceptually they weren't going to get. Then you fast forward all the way to this story with Vietnam, and they have to hear from the Viet Cong radio people that Martin Luther King was assassinated back in America. And just and so it it felt like what this was saying is this is something that is still happening you know and and that's the great thing about spike lee he loves to bring that to your attention hey you think that this is just a story about vietnam or or what's happening now nope this has been going on for way longer than you realize and when is it going to end you know when is a black person ever not at war, whether it's a war here for freedom and equality or whether it's a war, a literal war in Vietnam trying to survive and uh, do this fighting for your country, so to speak. So I I just really appreciate that. And that I think those core things are why this movie is is extremely important to the whole talks of equality now, because this is just another piece about how much the black lives really matter in this country. If we keep doing these things to them and then beyond that, there are just other things in here, man, like, and like, and like we've all just complimented the Delroy Lindo character. And yes, man, just like everything that was going on with that character, the fact that he was a Trump supporter, the fact that he kind of had this relationship with his son where he was guilty, he kind of felt like he failed them. But at the same time, he resented his son because, you know, he was born and his wife died. So there's just all these layers with this character. And then it was almost like, uh, Chadwick Boseman's character, Storm and Norman, uh, and the way that Lindo kind of Lindo's character, Paul kind of idolized him. And it was almost like he was like this Messiah figure almost, right? Like almost like this godly figure, like somebody that he looked at and just, you just felt like he just had this big connection to him. And that twist where you find out that it was actually guilt and that there was this accidental death and everything like that. And it just helps you understand this character. He just is just, you can just tell this is a person who he never really left Vietnam. And all of this has resulted in him losing his way. 
his sense of identity or what or whatever he is with being a, a Trump supporter or what he's supposed to be as a father, then him not being able to deal with that inner guilt of what happened to Norman as a result of something that he accidentally did. And then kind of coming to some sort of closure with that when he had that fall and then couldn't get to the gold and then kind of realized, okay, maybe that, you know, uh, Norman is the one that got it. He deserves it because of what I did to him or this guilt I have. And then that scene where him and Chadwick Boseman have that hug and he's like, I forgive you, man. It was an accident. I forgive you. Like all of that just I think was just great stuff by Spike Lee. I, I felt like all of that stuff landed. And yeah, the landmine scene ought to with his son and them gra- all grabbing onto that rope and pulling him to safety. And, and, you know, I think that that was by design too, man. Like, like not only was it a showcase of look at these war veterans kind of going back into that mode and immediately coming up with solutions and things like that. But you had all of these people, different beliefs, different sides of the spectrum and it took all of them acting together to pull that man to safety so you know a lot of things I think are being said um, in this movie and then the quote that he had with Martin Luther King at the end man I I should have just wrote it down so I could read it verbatim. But that was pretty chilling. Just that whole thing about like we have that, that whole thing about, you know, I'm in America to the, to, and I'm abridging it here, but just that whole feeling of this, of how a black person must feel at times. Like I'm in America, but I never feel like an American. Just however that was said, that was just, very chilling. It was thought provoking and it was just so pertinent to what is going on now and this whole argument for black lives. So yeah, man, I just really appreciated the messages that Lee has given here and the history that he gives here, because, you know, it's almost like he's always saying this to us, but none of this is new, man. This treatment is repeated behavior and we've got to stop these behaviors from repeating if i'm remembering correctly justin in one of the Viet Cong broadcasts they bring up black soldiers in the civil war okay he did okay maybe i just i don't know how i let that slip but okay okay so he did i just remember them bringing them up at that point okay okay but yes yeah i I remember i found out about uh what's his name from the revolutionary war uh crispus yes I found out about him actually a few weeks ago and huh. it was in a meme actually of all things. Of course it was because that's all we do nowadays, but it was somebody that posted this thing and it's like, you know, who would have thought it all started with a, ba- a, a black man dying in the streets by the authorities. And it goes on this whole thing and it's very vague. And then by the end of it, it's like twist. It, it twists and reveals that it's talking about the Boston massacre. But when you're reading it, it very much plays out like George Floyd in the protests hmm. afterwards. And yeah. And then at the end, it, it gives like a little thing about Christmas and the fact that he, you know, was a black man who was shot in the streets of Boston by British soldiers. 
and that started the Boston Massacre, which was one of the, was pretty much the opening of the American Revolution. It's it's that's considered like the first deaths of the American Revolution were considered the Boston Massacre. But it all started mm. with Crispus. So in a lot of ways, it, this movie is very right. He's very much the first person to die in an American war was a black man and any American war ever. It started with him, man. But one thing I want to go into, though, is something we've, we've talked about a little bit, but with the character of Paul, one of the things I really loved was as the movie progressed, essentially his mental state got worse and worse as it progressed. And you can really see that based on the lever, the, the letter he gave Otis to give to his son when they first that he wrote when they first landed in Vietnam. And he was talking about how Otis was the godfather to David and all this stuff. And you wouldn't have guessed that throughout the movie because of how he had kind of turned on Otis too. He was turning on everybody. Yeah. And, but if it really kind of just shows that when they went back to Vietnam and as you find out, he's the one that accidentally killed Norman and all this other stuff. It's just, he was like devolving the more time they were there. The, the longer he was there, the more and more his past was catching up with him. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think a lot of him thinking that other people were going to betray him had to do with the fact that he accidentally killed Storm and Norman. Yeah. You know, it might not be intentional, but you're going to get my ass killed. You know, that type of thing that like you can't trust anybody because shit, I accidentally killed him. Yeah. And it's just the, and, and the fact that they brought up that he had real PTSD and all this other stuff, it really just kind of showed that the more they were there and the more that happened, that was stuff like going back to the war and all this other stuff. It was just unlocking things in him more and more and more as it went on. And he just was unraveling because of that. And I really liked, I really loved that they did that letter scene with him because it showed his mental state right before they got there. And that was not really the character we were getting in the movie because in the movie, he was in the element of what caused all, all that pain in his life mm-hmm. or that reminded him a lot of the pain and just like him devolving and being consumed by it, like just took his character all over the place with it. And I just really loved that detail of it. And that having that letter at the end showed what he was before that. And like, that was just an incredibly powerful way of showing that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just yeah. made it hit even harder that you didn't even realize that who he was before all this because of that, because of all the pain and the nightmares and the demons that were just awakened in him from just being back there. And the fact that their little adventure just went beyond sideways. I mean, it just went to fuck. And, and it kind of reminds me of like, uh, cause I know that something like this was done similarly in it chapter two. And I remember us complaining that it didn't quite land with that character in there because it just felt kind of jarring or it was a motivating letter that they didn't really need at the moment. Or I remember us not yeah. being so there was high no on need it. For it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm typically very against that, especially the, the retrospective letter at the end, you know? Yeah. Because a lot of times those things can be done through dialogue. And it's just like, it's a weird, it's always like a weird wrap up of the shit you've already seen. And they're just like, yeah, guys, we'll be friends forever. And all that type of shit. Like it's, it's fucking garbage. Most of the time, the only two times recently that I've liked it is Hopper's letter at the end of stranger things, season three, 
Oh yeah, that was tight. That was tight. Yeah. And this one, because like this one actually completely like it completed the character journey of Paul. Yeah. Because it showed you the beginning state of it. It showed you how far his character transformed from just being in Vietnam again for a couple of days. It it showed you the totality of what his character went through in that excursion back there. And I think that that's why I liked it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Most of those letters that they do in movies like that don't do that shit. Like it's just some weird back ass way to like fill in a plot hole somewhere else. And I, cause with this letter, they could have not had it and the movie would have still worked mostly. You know what I mean? Paul would have still been a very interesting and deep and complex character. Mm-hmm. This, this letter was just like a little bow of just to, to really, like I say, it just ends up showing you the totality of it. It's that little extra step. And I think that's why it worked more in this. Yeah. Like the more and more I think about that performance, the, the more and more I'm like, man, dude, like that's although this year for movies. (laughs) Yeah. Like, right. Like, I mean, even though I know that this year for movies has kind of been canceled for the most part, but from what I have seen, uh, this is the, that is one of the best performances I've seen all year. I just, I mean, it's so hard for me right now because I keep having to remind myself that even though we just recently watched blind spotting, it's not from this year. Yeah. yeah. It keeps fucking me up. Too bad. That movie just still feels like it was, it, it feels like shit started happening and they went, we're making this movie in a week and it fits. Yeah. yeah. It still just fits so fucking perfectly into Both the year 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have to keep reminding myself, oh yeah, that movie's two years old. Yeah. Which is a shame that it's, yeah, like that people didn't really know much about it when it came out. Um, it's a great movie. I mean, but hands down, I think that that is the best performance of the year. I mean, we do have Who, maybe Paul? some move. Do what? Are you talking about Paul from this movie? Yes. From- yes. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. It, it, I, I can't think of a single better performance I've seen this year from movies that are considered from this year. Because I think we didn't even get to see 1914 until technically 2020 had already started. But yeah, movies that are considered 2020 movies. I can't think of a better performance. I can't either. Yeah, that's fair to say. I mean, yeah, if like we said, if blind spotting was from this year, David Diggs would have given like him a run for his money. But even still, it would be real close because, yeah, this I, I, I agree. I think this is probably the best one so far of the year. And especially now that he's like this age, think about how much his talents were wasted in shit like the core. I know, man. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. His talents were not wasted at all in his five minutes in Congo. Because I fucking <laughs> love that scene. That's one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie Congo. Which you're, uh, I know people listening might be going Sterling. It's the movie Congo. That's a good scene in that movie. I argue lots of scenes are good in that movie. Because I love that movie for some strange fucked up reason. But on well, top like of that. This, this man steals, almost steals the entire movie. By just yelling at Tim Curry about sesame cake. I love it. And in fact, I did. I watched the movie Congo after I watched this just because I wanted to see him yell at Tim Curry about sesame cake. (laughs) In fact, after this podcast, I'm probably going to pull up the movie Congo on my iPad and watch that scene again just so I can have some closure. (laughs) Don't be. All right. I'm kind of lying. I'm probably just going to watch Congo again. The entire movie. (laughs) 
That sounds more accurate. Yeah. I'm not going to just pull up that scene. I'm going to watch all of Congo. So, hey, movies do weird things to me. Okay. I mean, do you ever just watch only a scene? I feel like if you want to watch a scene, you end up just being like, nope, whole movie. (laughs) No, the ending of Whiplash. Oh, yeah. I will go and just watch the ending of Whiplash and not watch any of the rest of the movie. Because I think the movie's good. And and for the, the rest of the movie's good. I don't need any of it. I just need the ending of that movie. The ending of that movie is like a miniature version of that movie condensed down into five minutes. It's like the whole movie happens and then re-happens again at the end. And it's just so satisfying. I just need the end. That's all I need. Now I'm going to have to do that too. I'm going to have to, I can't talk about the ending of Whiplash and not watch it. So I'm going to have to watch the ending of Whiplash and then I'm going to have to watch all of Congo. See, now you're just making me like now that Whiplash has been mentioned, I want to rewatch it because, you know, it's been too long since I've seen it. I mean, I've already seen it about three or four times, but, you know, it's it's been a while since I've revisited it. And all this oh. talk about Congo. I'm not a fan of Congo, but you keep talking about Congo and I think about the apes and it makes me think about the Planet of the Apes trilogy, the newer one that I love. <laughs> and I haven't Fuck. revisited that either. So Fuck, I'm I like, might have to watch those now too. Those, those are so good. <laughs> oh Don't sleep on those movies. They are so good. My God. I mean, I am one of those fucked up individuals that loves the entire Planet of the Apes saga, the original one. All like, I think five or six of those movies. I love those movies. There are a lot of not good ones. A lot of not good ones in, those, in that saga. But I'll be damned if I won't watch them all. The only thing Planet of the Apes I won't watch is the Tim Burton one. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Marky Mark. With, yeah, with Marky Mark. I've got, I've got just zero reason to watch that. They're not good. <laughs> or it's not good. I say they like it's a series. It's not good. But, man, any of the other, like, nine Planet of the Apes movies, oh, I'm, down, I'm totally down to watch it any time. Especially, especially those new ones. Those new ones. And I didn't watch that first one for a long time. What was that? The Rise of the Planet of the Apes, I think, is that what that one was? I did not watch that one for a long time because I was still upset with how much Tim Burton fucked up my Planet of the Apes. And that's saying a lot. That's saying a whole lot. If you get to like Beneath the Planet of the Apes or Return to Planet of the Apes, actually, I think Return's good. I don't know. The names all kind of blur me. I just watched them. They are bad movies. One of them ends with like a weird death cult of human beings that are blind, that worship essentially an atomic bond bomb under like in a cave. It's not good, but it is infinitely better than that bullshit that Tim Burton gave us. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was I was just so wary of it. I was like, nope, it's just gonna be some more bullshit. And I think it was you and Devin that kept just telling me like, no, you should actually give it a chance, Sterling. It's good. And then I think. I watched the movie Dread on Netflix. And I know you guys have been telling me for a long time also, I need to watch Dread. And so I watched Dread and I was like, oh, that's amazing. And I think that was one of those things that made me go, well, maybe this Planet of the Apes will be good then. They've, they've been saying the same thing about that. And then I watched it and I was like, I'll be damned. That was good as shit. Yeah, man. See, this like- is why everybody wonders why I buy so many movies and I pay so much money for all these streaming services and all this shit. And it's all because I have a bad habit of getting a movie stuck in my head and I feel like I can't move on in my life unless I watch that movie. And that happens to me on a constant basis. So I have to have the widest possible array 
of abilities to watch shit. Because now on my watch list, now I've got to watch the ending of Whiplash. I've got to watch Congo again. And that'll be my second time today watching Congo. That should never be a thing that happens to a human being. No one should ever be watching Congo twice in one day. But fuck it. (laughs) Apparently, I have no self-respect. I'm going to have to do it again. And then at some point this weekend, I feel like I'm going to have to watch the new Planet of the Apes trilogy. Or I'm going to end up getting in that feeling of everything. Anytime I'm watching anything else, I'm going to have this weird feeling of I'm not watching what I should be watching. So I'm going to have to watch those again. And all that's going to do is then make me watch all the original Planet of the Apes. So great, guys. Now you fucked me and gave me like 12 movies to watch. I I really wish that we were just doing this full time because then we could have like retro reviews and we could go back and do Planet of the Apes trilogy or go back and do something like Combo, Combo, Congo. And, you know, you just retro reviews, you know, you say that, Justin, the amount of bullshit you would end up watching would just probably numb your face. Probably would, though. (laughs) Just if we went just if we went off like the movies in my lifetime that I get stuck on and have to watch every once in a while or I just start getting weird feelings like something's wrong. That alone is like 25 different episodes. And it's not good shit. Very rarely am I stuck on shit that's good. I don't know why. Like I said, (laughs) I think it's because I have no modicum of self-respect. But we'd be doing episodes on The Phantom, Shadow, 2000's Tour Rollerball, 2003's Daredevil, the the old-ass Planet of the Apes movies. Uh, Just a bunch of garbage like that. And it's just what I... The movie Basketball. I did Like, there's just random things that I'm like, Man, it's been like three or four months since I've seen that. I need to watch it again. And I shouldn't. (laughs) I shouldn't watch it again. Because a lot of those movies shouldn't have been seen by anybody once. Because a lot of them aren't good. But I'll be damned if I'm like, nope, I gotta watch it. I just recently rebought a very old-ass movie called Victory. Which if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's a Michael Caine, Sylvester Stallone, Pele movie about... uh, U.S. soldiers in a like or allied soldiers in a concentration camp uh, playing Nazis in a game of soccer. Yep. Wow. I have never heard of this in the in my entire life. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it's and it's one of those things. It's like, man, I haven't watched in a couple of years. That's been a long time. I need to watch it again. So I just bought that. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that maybe if we end up do getting some free time or something like that, I'll come up with. I'll just come up with what is essentially the essential Sterling list of movies. And it's a bunch of garbage, especially from the 90s, that I constantly watch. And you'll look at that list. And honestly, I don't know if anybody should ever know that list. I probably shouldn't have said some of the movies I said. Because it kind of discredits anything I say negatively or positively about movies in general. Because I constantly watch those movies. And nobody that takes movies seriously should ever watch these movies. But I do. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it is nostalgia. Maybe it's my own weird version of nostalgia, considering I am so kind of anti-nostalgia. That like this is my weird anti like my version of it. To where that like Yeah, I could see that. And like maybe that's my own weird twisted version of it. And but you'll look at this list, and for most people, that's like the essential list of movies to torture people with. <laughs> like if the CIA were to come up with a torture program of movies. 
that they would make people watch to get them to spill their secrets. It might be based on my list of movies that I end up watching every couple of years because I have to. This sounds like a great idea for future episodes like because maybe we could each make a list like we can do the sterling list the heather list and the Jaston list and it doesn't have to be 50 movies maybe like five we each get five and so we pick one of those to do on whoever's list so like the episode would be the sterling list you know clueless or something so we would all watch that and you could talk about why it's on your list and then we can have reactions to it and it might be kind of fun to talk about does the movie still hold up etc etc you know what what would we give it now you know what are our scores for it and everything like that you might give it a hundred percent but maybe me and heather feel different and we could do that we could take five movies from each person's list and just you know go through everybody's list i guarantee you so many people would be surprised by some of the shit i watch on a constant basis like, oddly enough, Clueless is one of the movies I do watch just oh, every few bam. months. I do bam. watch Clueless. Clueless is an amazing movie. Um, I love another that movie. One, just to give like, yeah. people some insight of, of something I do watch on a semi-regular basis that would surprise people, is the movie Legally Blonde. I absolutely <laughs> love the movie Le- Le- Legally Blonde. I love it. It's utterly fantastic. It is good. Yeah, classic Reese Witherspoon. And that means I can make y'all watch The Dentist. Oh, boy. I mean. Veto. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, uh, all right, you want to hear one that's just weird, so weird that it's on my list that I watch constantly, is the Kevin Costner Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Huh. I have hmm. no idea why. That is a batshit insane garbage movie. <laughs> it is utterly reprehensible in almost every single way. <laughs> but I, to, to quote Adrian Pimento from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Kevin Costner's flawless British accent and Brian Adams soundtrack just get me in the mood every time. (laughs) And it's not wrong. Like, I love that movie. And if anybody hasn't seen that movie, the joke is Kevin Costner doesn't do a British accent. He he talks like Kevin Costner. There is no difference (laughs) in Kevin Costner's accent in that movie than his accent in Fields of Dreams. But fuck that. Love it. And I can't tell you why. I don't even know if I could say a legitimate positive thing about that movie, but I'll be damned if I don't watch it. Do you know what I watched the other day, Justin? That'll like put you back in memory lane. I watched it maybe two weeks ago. Demolition Man. Oh, that's funny because I had planned on revisiting that. <laughs> I it, it I loved it. I loved every second of it. It just just like I did when I watched it as a kid. It's just it, everything about it. I'm like, yep, nope, still holds up. And then I said that. I said that in my own head. I was like, yep, it still holds up. And then I was thinking, it didn't, it never held up. It was never good. But my, the way my body feels when I watch it is, yep, still holds up, still awesome. And I don't know why. See, I don't know if you really do want to do this little challenge thing, Justin, because the amount of shit I would put you through. <laughs> I, I think it would be fun. I might think make it actually would be fun. <laughs> it might. You say it that. Might. But I don't know if you could hold up if we just did some of my just 90s movies ones. I don't know if you how you would legitimately feel afterwards if you had to watch Judge Dredd, Congo, The Phantom, The Shadow. Uh, so what's another 90s one? It'd probably be Demolition Man if we're just going strictly 90s movies. I don't know how you would feel watching all five of those movies 
in general. Wow. Yeah, that would, uh, yeah, th- 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 that'd be quite the gauntlet. Um, I mean, I could break mine down into eras. That's what's sad. Like if we <laughs> went early 2000s, Justin, you would have Rollerball and Daredevil. And I already know how you feel about Daredevil, but you would have to watch Daredevil again. <laughs> I'd have and to I'm watch not talking it. about, and I'm not talking about the theatrical cut. I'm very much into the unrated cut with Coolio. <sighs> yeah, I'm on a whole other level when it comes to these garbage movies. So, yeah. and it's funny. I and it's funny. I call them garbage movies. Those are like the, the Sterling Essential Watcher list, and I'm like garbage movies. And it's like movies I watch all the time. <laughs> I mean, and, and the funny thing is, is I do have some good ones on there. I do watch Ghostbusters a lot, and who doesn't love some Ghostbusters? Yeah, yeah. See, and you said Clueless, so see that that wouldn't yeah. be a bad watch. And I mean, y'all might like some of mine. You know, Super Bad would be on my list. You wouldn't like y'all won't like the dentist. <laughs> but I will make you watch it. But like, you know, super bad's on mine. And that used to be funny, right? Oh, I wonder if it's funny now though. But you know, I I I watched it probably, I watched it probably three months ago. It's, there's a lot of jokes that don't hold up. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Super bad. Oh yeah. Cause there's a lot of gay jokes. Hmm. And see, that's why I think this would be interesting to go back and do, you know, because we could talk about some of those things, like why that's very insensitive for today's times, you know. See, and I do feel bad that this episode has now essentially ended and it's just us discussing future episode ideas. But <laughs> I got an idea. We each come up with a list of 20 movies. I know that sounds like a lot, but 20 movies and number them, not in a number of like, oh, this is like the number one movie and this is the 20th movie. Just put numbers on them and we don't share the lists. But what we do is when we're going to do one of those episodes, say we'll do Justin's list. I will roll a 20 sided die and that'll be the movie off that list. Nice. That could be fun. Yeah, that could be fun. You know what I mean? So I just roll the die and I say 18 and you'll look at your list and go 18 is this. <laughs> and then that's <laughs> what we'll do the episode. That's on. what we have to watch it. Okay. How's that sound? And. What we can do also is we can open it up and do like a Cinefan list and we can end up getting 20 movies together from that. Yeah. And then that can be one of the ones we roll on too. see. See, now we got a good idea. Yeah. This will this will really this will fill some numbers for sure. This will fill some episode slots for sure. So, I mean, that would essentially gave us 80 potential episodes of just covering that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) On top of the other stuff we do regularly anyway. Yeah. So. On that note, thank you guys for listening to the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on cinemaslayers.com. Check us out at Cinema Slayers podcast on Facebook. Cinema underscore Slayers at Twitter and Instagram. Uh, like I was saying earlier, this will be this is episode 99. So next episode will be issue or issue. What the fuck is this? It's not a comic book. Episode 100. And we will be doing a Q&A on that. And we will do one final push to get you guys to send us any questions you may or may not have with us. Uh, you can just send them to us on Facebook via Facebook Messenger or just post them to our Facebook wall or you can email them to cinemaslayerspodcast at gmail.com any, or message us on Twitter or Instagram or any of these fun little fucking places you can and just let us know like maybe a question you may or may not have for us and we will, you know, if it is at least an appropriate question, we will answer it. It does not necessarily have to be TV and movie related because some of the questions I know I'm asking my fellow Cinema Slayers hosts aren't. So 
It just has to be an appropriate question. Don't ask something, you know, that's vile. And if I'm saying it's vile, you know, it's probably a fucked up level of shit. So just keep that in mind. And as always, just remember, as you go to sleep later today, right before you, you know, start dreaming of anything, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is a Best Picture winner. Oh, damn.